Hello, friends. This is Craig Naibo. I've just launched a Kickstarter with a single backer level, so you can get your hands on my new hardback illustrated book, Tesla v. Cthulhu, A Bedtime Story. You can scan a QR code on the title page of the book or listen along audio, performed by me with original music and plenty of sound effects to amp up your reading experience. You only have until the end of January to reserve your copy of this extremely limited hardback edition of the book. Click on the link in this episode's description for more information. And here are the details. Greetings, boys and girls. Are you ready for tonight's bedtime story? I've chosen an excellent selection from the annals of volumes that guarantees to keep that monster under your bed and that boogeyman in your closet. Tonight, I give you Tesla v. Cthulhu, the story of three witches who kidnapped Nikola Tesla from his laboratory in Colorado Springs. They have nothing but nefarious plans for him as they spirit the genius away to a secret location in the woods. They plan to incite the most powerful spell in their ancient book, the Necronomicon. You see, their spell demands the sacrifice of a clever man, and there's none more clever than Nikola Tesla, to summon Cthulhu, a great old one. Jerusha and her sisters want Cthulhu to overthrow the world and turn humans into slaves. And they hope Cthulhu will give them lofty stations as queens in his court, but that remains to be seen. The big question, will Fritz Lowenstein Tesla's assistant, and his friends make it in time to save Nikola Tesla from certain death and from a world of subjugation under one of the darkest entities the universe has ever seen. Let's find out, shall we? Nikola Tesla lived in his laboratory on Knob Hill outside of Colorado Springs, where he and his assistant, Fritz Lowenstein produced Get the extremely limited edition, fully illustrated hardback book Tesla v. Cthulhu, a bedtime story, 30 pages, and 18 high-quality illustrations. But that's not all. You can follow along as Craig Naibo, author, performs the story, amped up with exciting sound effects and original music. Just scan the QR code on the title page and read along. You will know when it is time to turn the page when you hear the insane occultist witch scream in terror like this. A single backer level makes your decision easy. Get the book and access to the follow-along audio for only $44.99. Pick up your copy of Tesla v. Cthulhu, a bedtime story by backing this Kickstarter Make 100 project today. Pick up a copy of Trash War, a family card game from Quirky Engine Entertainment at Amazon.com today. I remember the skies blackening with flocking of ravens. They came to pick over the battlefield for whatever they needed to survive. We were like those ravens, prying up this to get at that digging through filth to find whatever measly prizes we could forage to strengthen our fighting prowess. I became good with a coat rack. I managed to sharpen with a rat file. It was more gut and mud than technique. <laughs> 
But on the battlefield, it wasn't about honor. It was about survival. Cry havoc and let slip the junkyard dogs of war. Pick up a copy of Trash War, a family card game from Quirky Engine Entertainment at Amazon.com today. The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Nibo. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Terrifying Lies Podcast, Season 2, Episode 1. Let's kick off the year with something big, shall we? Today's story is Act 1 of a weird Western tale called Dead Packed Oblivion. It's featured in the original Terrifying Lies anthology, but not in the state which you will experience it today. This version of Dead Packed Oblivion features a full, original soundtrack I composed specifically for this story. I hope you smell the gunpowder, feel the blistering sun on your back, and rock in the saddle as you listen. Usually I offer a bit of commentary for each episode's featured song. However, I composed the song at the end of this episode specifically for this story. So, to keep you in the mood, I will move straight from this story's performance into the song. Stay tuned afterward for a bit of behind-the-scenes commentary. With no more delay, I give you Dead Packed Oblivion, Part 1 of 3, written and performed by me, Craig Nibo. I'll see you on the other side. Dead Packed Oblivion, Part 1 of 3. Written and performed by Craig Nibo. Bannock smeared across the landscape like a stain. Galen stood on a ridge overlooking the little town's collection of husked out buildings. Sarah, his painted Mustang, tied to a dead oak on the edge of camp, snorted out the cool morning mist. Galen raised a metal cup to his mouth and sipped his coffee, which had taken on the steely taste of its vessel. Sun would peek up from the east within the hour, having long known that to travel at night was tantamount to suicide. Galen kept in the light as much as possible. Daylight had its dangers as well. Inflicted lost much of their power in the sun. They could still be sons of bitches taken up to a dozen or so unblessed bullets to die. The sound of clopping broke Galen from his thoughts. He reached for the rusty iron he'd pried from an unknown corpse back in Meekum. He had no reason to keep the weapon. He supposed he liked the weight of the gun on his hip, functional or otherwise. Galen hadn't met a man faster than him on the draw. Inside a half a second, he'd wheeled around and leveled the revolver at the source of the disruption. She sat atop a mammoth Belgian chestnut with a flaxen mane, perhaps more suited in front of a plow than under the weight of a nine-year-old girl. Speak to me, Galen said, pinching his eyes into a squint, ignoring the girl's shotgun. 
That won't shoot none, she said. Barrel's rusted out. She sighted down the barrels of her shotgun. Galen lowered his useless weapon. The girl was right. It wouldn't fire. The cylinder wouldn't even spin. The Belgian beneath the girl danced a sideways step. Something had happened recently to make it skittish. What's your name, mister? The girl asked, holding the stock of her shotgun tied against her shoulder. If it came down to it, she'd probably not hesitate to kill him. Name's not important, he said. He offered her his metal cup. Coffee. You're talking. Using words. That's something at least. I ain't gonna do nothing to you. Everyone does something to me, she said. Why don't you lower the cannon? You look like you could use a peck of food. The girl raised her head up from her weapon and looked over Galen. Why are you here? Galen had ridden hard for days. Practically put his painted in the ground on a couple of occasions. He supposed he was tracking. But his quarry took no pains in hiding its trail. Galen had just followed the blood. Name would be nice, Galen said. Names ain't important. You got me. Galen smiled, his face crisscrossed with weather and wrinkles. The girl lowered her shotgun but kept it across her lap. A pair of long braids hung from the brim of her hat, down over her shoulders and into her lap. Sunburned freckles testified that she'd spent a lot of time outside. You got meat? She asked. Dry. Get it out. Say please, Galen said, any minute. What? Please, say please. She snarled, her lips parting to reveal a good set of teeth. Please. That's better. Galen walked across camp to a log over which he'd slung his saddlebags. He expected the girl to raise her gun. She didn't. She just sat atop that behemoth horse and watched, her eyes reflecting a sense of mild interest. He opened one of the pouches and took out a burlap bag. The jerky smelled irony. He was running low. He hoped to replenish his supplies in Bannock. He withdrew a fistful from the bag and offered it to the girl. She slid off her Belgian, dragging the shotgun with her. She aimed it up at the sky like a good little girl and walked to him. She hesitated only for a moment before taking the jerky from his hand and biting into it like an animal. Take it easy. I got more. Galen said as he sat down on a log to watch her eat. She must have a beautiful mother, he thought. Red hair. You didn't answer my question, mister, she said between mouthfuls of jerky. Why are you here? Galen offered her his metal cup. She took it and drank. Chasing down the hard jerky with a few swallows of bitter coffee. Looking for somebody, he said. Ain't nobody here. Not no more. I see people moving around down there. Galen thumbed over his shoulder toward Bannock. They ain't people. She took another bite of jerky and worked it with her back teeth, softening it enough to swallow. Did you see him? Galen asked flicking a glance over his shoulder toward town. You must have, or you'd be dead. He always leaves a witness, someone to tell the story. I saw him all right, but ran. 
did he mark you? What do you mean? Elin's eyebrows arched. Had she escaped him without a mark? He'd never met anyone who could claim the same. He snatched up her right hand, turned it over. She jerked it back, slapped him full in the face. Galen winced. He rubbed the stinging place on his cheek and his face cracked into an involuntary smile. Before she'd pulled her hand back, he'd caught a peek at her pink palm. She was clean. You got no business manhandling me, mister. We ain't friends. I can take care of myself. Galen rocked back on his haunches and looked her up and down, one of his eyebrows cocking up. He marks him, you know, his witnesses. He said, I was looking for the hooked cross, but I found it there on your hand. I'd have had to put you down. She looked at the crackling fire. As if on cue, a tendril of cloud moved over the sun, bringing a dim to the moment. He carved my parents that way. Galen picked up a water bladder and offered it to her. She drank. She lowered the bladder and wiped her mouth with the sleeve. Then they took to carving on themselves. My parents, I mean. They still alive? Galen asked. He picked up a stick and poked at a log in the fire. Cinders burst from the flames and flew up into the morning air. He's dead, or as good as. Once he marked them, they changed. Something in their eyes. Something in their souls. If there's anything left of their souls. Galen stood up and put his hands on his lower back to stretch the morning creeks out of his old bones. He cracked his neck with a couple of sideways throws and settled his eyes on the girl's shotgun. Where'd you get the cannon? She looked up at him, her eyes squinting into suspicious slits. After a moment, her demeanor softened. Oh, hell, she said. I got an uncle. Lives a spell out of Bannock. Probably the only one with the stones to stand up against him. I was there when it all happened. He's still alive. He'll live forever. Devil won't even take him. Galen smiled. Does he have weapons? I suspect he has. Take me to him. We ain't friends, the girl said. Galen held up his right palm and showed it to her. She looked at his nicked, weathered flesh, a patchwork of scars. She didn't see the hooked cross there in his flesh. At least there was that. She took another bite of jerky. I'll take you to him, but there's no guarantee he'll want any dealings with the likes of you. I'm a likable guy, Galen said. Like hell you are. The two of them finished eating in silence. When they were done, Galen kicked dust on the dwindling cinders. He tossed his useless revolver into the brambles of the sagebrush thicket. The girl watched as he packed up his bedroll and tied everything down on his Mustang. The two of them mounted their horses and set off, the young girl taking the lead high on her Belgium. The Terrifying Lies Podcast will return after this short commercial break. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies Podcast. 
pine wood sign read, Enter and I'll kill you. Galen pulled his painted up 50 yards back from the pig wire and fence that ran across a park in a wall of the box canyon. The remains of a trickling river slid through the bottom of the canyon over polished stones and silt, winding its way to who knows where. Water seemed out of place in the hell-toughened soil, but it took water for a town to survive. He don't like people much, the girl said. I caught that, Galen said, nodding toward the sign hanging above the main gate. You best stay here while I talk to him. He's liable to think you're using me somehow to get to his stock. Galen nodded, pushed his hat back on his head. His painted sidled from side to side, restless in the sun. The girl pushed on, seated like a gnat atop her oversized mount. Galen opened a saddlebag and snatched out a small satchel that contained tobacco and papers. Kept his eyes on the girl as he rolled a smoke by sheer muscle memory. He plugged the rough cigarette into his mouth and struck a match on his saddle horn. His nerves calmed as he took a drag. The girl stopped at the gate. She rode to the slatted entrance and hooked up a voluminous cowbell that hung over a weathered cedar post. The thing clanged out its icy alarm over the hiss of a breeze that constantly flowed through the box canyon. She waited for a spell and rang it again. Galen finished his cigarette and tossed the butt onto the red earth. He squinted as he watched the girl ring the cowbell a third time. The girl left the bell and rode up to the gate. She plunged her pink fingers between the slats and pulled. The gate swung open. Galen nudged his Mustang into motion. He clopped up to the gate just as it finished crying open on its nearly rusted out hinges. The yard of junk lay inside the gnarly wood and pig wire fence. Across the field, tucked against the slot canyon wall, a cabin stood, cankered with disrepair, some of its roof fallen in, stacks of junk, old farm equipment, piles of wood and scrap, salvaged furniture and broken pipe lay strewn across the yard. An old piano grinned at Galen and the girl half sunk in a mire of silt and grit. He sure as hell don't have a woman's touch about this place, Galen said. My uncle don't trust no woman, nor no man. There's only me. Why is the gate open? Could be he's off salvaging, the girl said. Man, this paranoid ain't gonna leave his front door open while he's out. Not with times being as they are. I'll lead, the girl said, nudging her horse into motion. I'd best stay with you. Galen said. They pulled their horses up to a leaning stoop in front of the homestead and tied them off on a paint-flecked rail. The girl stepped up onto the stoop as Galen dismounted and made to follow her. She held a hand up she cautiously neared the door. Galen paused. Her uncle might be expecting her, but two horses, not one, had ridden up to the cabin. Her uncle would know that. Uncle Jared the girl said. Sliv, got a man with me. He don't mean no harm. Says he wants to help. 
Something flapped in the breeze, back in the yard. Slat of wood caught sail, rising and banging. Uncle Jared, Liv said a little louder. She pulled open the storm door and pushed her way inside. Before the door could slam closed on a spring, Galen caught him and moved into the cabin behind her. The smell of rotting leaves hit Galen hard as he made his way into the dim. Sunlight trickled through a smattering of holes in the roof, granting partial illumination. The interior of the cabin offered nothing but unrest, setting Galen's nerves on end. He thought about snatching Liv's scattergun right out of her hands. Something stopped him. Maybe the confidence she exuded in her handling of the weapon. Uncle Jared, Liv said. Her voice had lost its power. Whatever evil had settled on the cabin, the girl felt it too. The room lay in ruin. A collection of ill-repaired furniture sat against the walls. Garbage and clothing lay strewn over the floor. An ancient wing-back chair shrugged in the middle of the floor. Galen noticed something extending from the arm of the chair. First, he thought it might be a tree limb or a garden tool. But then, he recognized the curled-in, darkened flesh of fingers. Someone sat dead in the wingback. Galen pushed past Liv and moved across the room, keeping an eye on all entrances. As he stepped around the wingback, he stroked his throat with his off hand and grimaced. What is it? Liv asked, her eyes widening. She started toward Galen, but he held up a rigid palm that told her to stop. Galen suspected that the man sitting in the wing back had been dead for at least two days. His body bloating. It didn't fit in the chair correctly. Someone had cut his shirt off and carved a tapestry of symbols into the man's skin. A single bullet hole in the man's right temple marked his exit from life. Liv sidled up next to Galen. She gasped and covered her mouth. She recognized the dead man sitting in the wingback. Galen snatched up a woven table cover from a nearby curio, crashing whatever junk sat on top of it onto the floor. He whisked the makeshift shroud over the dead man and put a hand on Liv's shoulder. We need weapons, he said. Liv lingered there at the feet of her Uncle Jared for a moment before breaking out of her stupor. She turned slowly and walked main room into the closet. The door had been left partially open. She raised her scattered gun and pushed open the door with the barrel. Other than a few empty shell boxes, the closet was empty. Taken, Liv said. This is where he kept his weapons. Galen stroked his unshaven chin as he looked the closet over. He turned on his boot heel and walked out of the room into the kitchen. One by one, he opened the cupboards. He stacked everything he could use on a soiled countertop, two bottles of peaches, and a gunny sack full of black beans. Just a second, Liv said. She plunged one of her pale hands into the gunny sack of beans and stirred around. I thought so, she said, drawing a 30 caliber revolver from the sack. She laid the gun down on the counter and fumbled around inside the stack of beans again. She brought out a carton of shells. Galen picked up the weapon and spent a few moments blowing shaft from its chambers and wiping it down with a bandana he kept in his pocket. 
He flicked open the cylinder and opened the carton of shells. Before he could load the weapon, the cabin's front door banged open. Galen snapped one round into the revolver and slammed the cylinder shut. Liv fired as he wheeled around and raised the gun. The first of four boys dropped to the floor. The other three leapt over him and kept coming. None of the boys wore shirts. Someone had carved a collection of symbols into their flesh. The wounds had healed into scabs of carved runic lines. The boys nearly made it to Galen before he pulled the trigger. The gun snapped without a report, a misfire. Two of the boys leapt, raising their arms and baring their teeth. Liv fired at the third, but aimed wide. She opened up a new hole in the cabin wall near the front door. She had just enough time to raise the shotgun defensively before the third boy attacked. Galen snatched one of the boy's hands and twisted it around. The boy hissed and spat. The hand felt hard like dried meat. Galen kept twisting until he felt the boy's wrist snap. He kicked the boy away and focused his attention on his second assailant. Liv backed up against the wall, holding her shotgun crosswise in front of her. The boy grabbed the weapon with both hands and wrenched it back and forth. As he tried to yank the weapon free, Liv looked into his eyes. She'd known that kid. They'd attended school together a year ago until his father had pulled him out to work the fields full time. She'd noticed him eyeing her from across the classroom on more than one occasion. But now, his eyes only gawked, soulless, like whatever light that had once been behind them had gone out. In the fit of the fight, she felt his breath coming at her in wafts. The stench from inside him caused her to close off her nose in disgust. She held on to the shotgun, keeping it between her and the boy. If she let off, she knew the boy would come at her with his claw-like fingers and tear her apart. Galen grabbed the boy in front of him by the hair and slammed his head into the wall. The boy's skull thunk like cabbage as it made contact. Galen followed up with a series of punches to the back of the boy's neck with one fist while keeping hold of the boy's hair with the other. After a half dozen slugs, the boy went limp. Galen let him collapse to the floor and turned to help Liv. By the time Galen reached her, she lay on her back, barely holding off the third boy with her shotgun. Galen snatched up a wooden chair and swung it hard across the boy's back. The chair came apart on impact scattering into bits of lumber. In a final gesture, the boy reached for Liv with one of his dry, curled-up hands. His consciousness slipped away. He went flaccid, leaning over the shotgun. Liv slanted him off and kicked him away. She pushed up to her feet. It's the McKinnish boys, she said. One of the boys moaned and tried to roll over. Liv whipped her shotgun around and stepped over the debris toward him. She leveled the barrel at his head and fired. It's a bit scattered onto the floor. Galen's brows scrunched together as he watched Liv finish off the other McKinnish boys. When she was done with her macabre work, she glanced at the little revolver in Galen's hand and up into his eyes. That little pea shooter won't hurt him none, she said. They'll just get up. Galen glanced around the room for holy symbols. He found none. Your uncle, he ain't a religious man, 
Uncle Jared don't want nothing to do with God nor any of the hell-bound creations he put in this world. Galen shook his head. God's all we have these days. Does your uncle at least keep holy water? Not likely. Galen put the little 30 caliber in his empty holster. He moved to the kitchen, snatched up the gunny sack full of beans, carton of shells, and two bottles of peaches. He and Liv left Uncle Jared's cabin.
This has been Dead Packed Oblivion, Part 1 of 3, written and performed by Craig Nibo. Also, the song Go With Gun and Bullets, composed and performed by Craig Nibo. As an author, I'm a bit of an escapist. My imagination sometimes feels like a landscape of infinite playgrounds. I'm not extremely secure around people, so I often go by myself to visit these places. The best part is, I get to install all of the haunted carnival rides I want. Dead Packed Oblivion is one of these playgrounds. I found myself enticed by a desolate world full of sand, heat, cowboys, and demons. I'm a religious person who tries to stick by his convictions, so I decided to bring at least a glimmer of hope and faith into the playground as a counterpart to its unyielding brutality. I visited the world of Galen and Liv, had a great time, and came back with a story. I hope you enjoy their playground as much as I do. Make sure you don't miss Dead Packed Oblivion, Parts 2 and 3, coming up next on the terrifying lies podcast this has been the terrifying lies podcast please come again you're welcome here